When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cavalry Audio. I think it's really important for people out there to know that, you know, the, the common perception, especially from Beverly Hills plastic surgeon, is that we're just fixing people's noses all day, um, or, you know, we're making the boobs bigger. And, and I think the idea is we are much more than that. Although... Uh, we do a lot of cosmetic surgery. The whole idea is we can reconstruct pretty much anything on the body, and that's what we've been trained to do. Aesthetics is a huge component to who we are, how we recognize each other, and how we interact with one another. And if any of you are doubters, imagine the reaction on your face when you see the first burn victim or the child with a cleft palate. I had an 18-year-old girl that came in, her breasts were so big that she couldn't do anything. She could not be a cheerleader. She couldn't participate in sports. She had difficulty with her neck, shoulder, and back pain. An orthopedic surgeon sent her to us because her breasts were weighing her down. There is zero ways to fix that without a breast reduction. And so all of these things, what I, what I ask of you is to take a step back, look at the 30,000 foot view. You know, it's not a matter of loving yourself. It's that um, there's always something that we feel we can change. And sometimes it's necessary, sometimes it's not. And that's not for us to judge. The idea is, is there something that we can do about it? I look at us as sometimes giving people a second chance. To be able to be given a second chance is one of the most important things in the world. It's a gift. So we are starting a podcast that will essentially bring you down the road of both invasive and non-invasive cosmetic surgery. And I think as two board-certified plastic surgeons, Dr. Payman Danielpour and myself, Dr. John Lakey, the idea for us is that we will dispel common myths We'll kind of talk about what works, what doesn't. We're going to get started today and talk about where we came from, who we are, and why we're here together. So let's take it way back just a couple of years to Wisconsin, huh. um, where you're from, and how you got started and why you became a doctor. And I'll kind of butt in and kind of put in my two cents too. Sure. Listen, uh, yes, as, I, as Dr. Payman Danipour said, I am a Wisconsin boy, grew up there and by way of Chicago, Miami, New York, wound, it up, wound up here in Los Angeles. And it's interesting. I've always known that I wanted to be a doc. And as far as the type of doc, uh, I was going to be a trauma surgeon. I came into residency. I was that guy who held my hand way up high when they said, who wants to do trauma? And uh, yeah, I'd say about my third year, uh, I was the 
quote-unquote chief of uh, trauma surgery. And I was called down. It was 2 a.m. There was a drunk guy that killed his mom and two little kids. And for me, I didn't. I looked around as this guy's trying to spit on me as I'm saving him and said, what am I doing with my life? And then I look across, and there's this plastic surgeon that came in by the name of Lauren Schechter. He was always well-dressed, had a smile on his face. Everybody loved him. He'd tell jokes. And he did all the facial and reconstruction, reconstructive procedures for the trauma team. And I thought, hmm, I think this guy's got the, uh, the recipe. So since that time, uh, you know, I spoke with him. He took me under his wing. And from that moment onward, decided that plastic surgery was for me. And it's interesting because I started off in the world of osteopathic medicine, which is really primary care and knew that I wanted to do surgery and ended up getting into uh, an allopathic surgical residency. And from there, it just flourished. Uh, and then because plastic surgery was so competitive during our, uh, you know, during a five-year program, you actually interviewed during your fourth year. And listen, we didn't make a lot of money. We're traveling around the country and I kept seeing this guy at the same interviews. And finally, you know, after talking to him for a while, we decided that uh, we knew we were heading to the next few places together. So we said, listen, why don't we split the cost? He seemed like a cool guy, you know, and uh, everything happened from there. You see how his story is? Now, my story is I walked into a plastic <laughs> surgery um, interview. I was about 10, 15 minutes late while everyone's sitting at the table. And I see John across the table and... He's completely the opposite of any doctor you've ever seen. He's tall, he's handsome, he's perfectly dressed. And I'm like, who's this guy? It's impossible this guy's doing an interview. Anyways, long story short, we don't talk that interview, but we do some sort of stroke of fate and luck or whatever you want to call it. We do have another interview in Houston. And that day, I actually went up to him and started talking to him. He was a doctor. He was actually applying for plastic surgery, and he was probably the most normal guy I've met in a very long time. So I said, hey, you know, <laughs> without sounding super strange, you want to just bunk up and save some money? <laughs> because <laughs> it really, really like, of course. <laughs> and, and literally, we hit it off from the first time. Um, our first time we really kind of bunked up together. I was in a meeting the night before and I was sleeping and I left him keys downstairs. He walked in, all the blackout shades were on. It was like four o'clock in the afternoon. He's like, what are you what doing? What did I get myself into? <laughs> <laughs> but for them, it was really, it was, it, was, it was a match made in heaven. But I'm going to kind of rewind things. Why in the world did you want to become a doctor? Because I had a reason. So I had an impetus because I had my grandfather who was a doctor. So I kind of wanted to follow his path. What made you want to become a doctor? I, you know, I, I think I've always been a nerd and I started off, I was, you know, the guy who runs into college and you go declare your major in the first uh, three weeks, whereas everybody else is like, hey, I'm trying to find myself. I'll do whatever. Not me. I ran right in and of course, biochemistry. And that was, you know, biology, biochemistry, that was, the, you know, my thing. And from there, I looked at what your potential options are. You know, my, my parents told me even when I was a kid that I always, you know, I was trying to repair things uh, as a physician would. So from animals to you name it. And um, so I kind of had that in my mind. So really as where the seed was planted, I don't even know. I think it's always been there and uh, it was just cultivated. See, that's awesome. Because again, very different ways of how we got here. 
I had a grandpa that was a doc. I'd go to his office and I wanted to be just like him. Um, but at the same time, I grew up in California and thought I could be a famous actor. So, so you know, I was getting tugged from one side to the other. And ultimately, um, obviously, I made the right decision um, and, you know, went to med school. And it's also interesting how you and I literally switched locations. Mm -hmm. So I went to med school in Chicago. He went to med school in Florida and then we switched and I went to residency in Florida and John went to residency in Chicago. And literally we were just following each other's paths in a very interesting way. And it was kind of fate really put us together because when we interviewed for plastic surgery residencies and we went, went on a lot of interviews, we must've interviewed at 20 places. And at the time to get in, it was like a 20% acceptance rate. So you do five years of general surgery residency. You really wanted to become a plastic surgeon, but you had maybe a 20% chance of making it. And we even offered a couples match at a, uh, <laughs> at a residency just because we're like, hey, man, this guy's cool. And we had friends in, that were in common. And by luck of the draw, I'll never forget the day I was operating as a, as a chief, fifth year in general surgery. And I, I'm waiting to hear if I got into plastic surgery. So essentially, it's called the match. You go on all these interviews, you rank the programs, the programs rank you. And then on one day, it goes through a big computer program, and it is a binding contract. So if you didn't like a place, you wouldn't list it. Well, sure enough, I listed this place first in New York. I loved it. Uh, the residents loved it. You know, in going to each of the programs, we, we figured out, we were like, okay, listen, the people who are really going to tell us everything are going to be the existing residents. And some of the residency programs, we looked, and they were exhausted, beaten. Uh, Completely you know, disheveled. You're like, and, this person and, looks uh, like they just got killed. Yeah, and, they, and some of them hadn't done some of the cases that I was were interested in. And so finally, we went to uh, the interview in Long Island. And this was the oldest and largest private practice in the country. And the residency had spanned for decades. And uh, all of the residents said, I feel confident I could start tomorrow. I could, you know, do a cosmetic case. I could do a reconstructive case. And to me, I thought, you know, I, listen, I can handle this. Plus, uh, although it's a little bit like purgatory, you're 30 minutes away from one of the best cities in the world, but you don't actually live there. But at least you were close enough to Manhattan where you're like, all right, listen, I'm getting a new piece of the country. And so ended up matching at the program. Well, I, I, I go back to that. Uh, I get a phone call from from so, payment. So the day of the day of the match, some of the programs actually gave you the day off. Like mine it was like, listen, you're stressed out. Go home, figure out if you're going to get into a program or not because you've worked so hard. So I go home and I'm sitting there, and you know we knew everyone that was interviewing. This was not a thing that was like the people that interviewed. There was a very very small subset of people that actually went to general surgery that wanted to go into plastics and actually got interviews. So you became friends with everyone. And you contacted these people because you didn't get the phone call. You were supposed to get a phone call from this program. Brutal. So now I'm sitting there going, I didn't get in. So a buddy of mine calls me and says, hey, no one's calling. You, gotta, you have to call the actual match center and they will tell you. So I'm like, oh my God. Now imagine, it's like, it's like knowing what your fate is really. I mean, are you going to go? What are you going to do next year? Pick up the phone. I find out I'm going to New York. Like, yes, amazing. Now, they won't tell me him or anyone else. And him and I have been contact, in contact since day one. Pick up the phone. I call John. Doesn't answer. Call He's John like, again. Tell Answers. me you got in. <laughs> like, tell me you're going to New York. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, I, I didn't get a call. And he said, no, neither did I. But you have to call them. 
So I called them and sure enough, got into the same program. We matched. And so I called him back and we were super excited. And he said, listen, we're both going to the same program. Why don't we find a place together? We'll be roommates. At least it's we're friends, roommates, and we can suffer through this together. But first we partied like rock stars <laughs> in Miami. And the funny thing was right across the street from where I lived in Miami, his best friend from college lived. All this stuff was very strange because it all kind of came together and it was all very meant to be. And Our density. we became very, very good friends even before we moved in. And it really helped. Don't go anywhere. Dr. Daniel Poor and I will be back after this break. So finally, we said, okay, let's go. We're going to go to New York. So how many times did we go to New York? Him and I went to New York City probably about 10 times looking for apartments in the city. Yeah. <laughs> Thought it was a great idea. And we were about to sign. And I got on a flight to come back to Chicago. And as I landed, I get a, a message from him. He said, okay, buddy, I couldn't do it. I just think it's a bad idea to live in the city. We're going to live out in Long Island. I said, okay, all right, that was it. So we lived, So know. this gets even better. <laughs> so- a week, 10 days before our residency starts, um, him and I are like, okay, we're going to pack our cars up and we're going to drive. He's going to drive from Chicago to New York. I'm going to drive from Miami to New York. Pack up a U-Haul, carrying a car, be, tear, you know, a car in tow behind it. And I'm about a day and a half ahead of him. But we have no place to live. Mm-hmm. Now you have to understand, there is no place to live. So <laughs> um, very confident. This is the story of our life. But but no, nope. He's like, don't worry, I'll find us a place. So I'll let you kind of explain how this happened. <laughs> so I went. Uh, you know, I, an agent took me out. We started looking at some places. I think I even stayed overnight at a motel that literally you could purchase by the hour, and uh, <laughs> you know, because we didn't have a lot of money, and. Uh, I just remember used towels in my room. So we finally find this place and it is like the nicest little uh, unit in a building where I find out a lot of the Jets football players live. So I was like, okay, I can do this. There's a pool, there's a cute little street, you know, the place isn't that bad. Directly across the street from the Long Island Railroad that would take us directly into the city in 30 mm-hmm. minutes. So it was so all it was our access. There was just so only call, one caveat. I call him and I say, look, there's one place left that we could get that's potentially within our price range. Um, our view is a veterinary hospital, but <laughs> I still think we're going to rock this place. And he was like, I trust you, go ahead. Sign the papers. Uh, you know, I'm unpacking all my stuff and I've got, listen, there was a story in medical school where I went deep sea fishing with some friends. I caught a shark, didn't realize that if I brought it aboard, you had to, you know, go to the taxidermy and have it stuff. Um, so $1,178 later, I was the proud owner of a hammerhead, nine foot hammerhead shark. So I drive in from, from Miami. I go into the, the city because I had, you know, good friends of mine that came. And so we go into the city for you know, that I, I walk in, we've been driving from, from Florida, get into to the, this place. I'm with my girlfriend. We walk in and he had furniture, thank God. And on the fern, on the sofa, a purple couch, by the a way. purple couch. And on the purple couch, there was this, this big, it looked like just, it looked like a human really. And it was covered <laughs> up and I'm like, whoa, what's going on over here? I go slowly into this apartment going, okay, what kind of human did I just become roommates with dead body on the couch dead body on the couch this is too early to deal with i go slowly take the 
cover off and it's this massive shark sitting in my living room. <laughs> Which I will label Exhibit A as a, uh, a valued asset. So we ended up hanging this thing up on our on our wall. Now, the view in the, the view from the Long Island Railroad in was directly into our apartment. So anyone that was getting into this into the train station, they would look up and be like, "Who's that place with a shark?" You're welcome. We're famous. <laughs> we were known as the guys that had the shark on the wall. Anyways, um, not to continue to to go on and banter about nothing. We did our residency in Long Island. It was. It was incredible in the sense that for two years, we had a resident cosmetic surgery clinic, Um, meaning we had our own clinic. And because we were already general surgeons and we were true surgeons that were really board eligible, board certified, they let us do everything on our own. So from day one in our plastic surgery residency, we were doing surgeries that most people that got out of training, still weren't really comfortable doing on their own. They were doing cosmetic fellowships and things like that just to kind of catch up a little bit. And the best part about it was we wanted to work together. So after hours, if we could get enough cases, John and I would do surgery together on a regular basis, Friday nights, Saturday mornings. I mean, we were doing mommy makeovers in our first year of, of, we were doing more than most people in practice are doing. So we really got the hang of working together and really loved working with each other. Interesting part, from the beginning, he really liked to work on the face a lot more than I did. Even though, you know, we both have the same training, he really was, he gravitated more to the nose and the face. And I, you know, being, uh, the, the, wanted to be the breast man and, 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 and do more mommy makeover procedures and more liposuction and body stuff. And it kind of molded the practice that it is now, but it molded it when we were in residency. Yeah. You learn each other's moves. And, you know, I would say bef- a year into it, he looked at me and he's like, what are your plans after? I said, well, I'll probably go back to Chicago. And he said, do you really want to suffer through another winter? And then he took me out to Los Angeles and we went to a Lakers game, a pool party. And I was like, sold, done. See, I was, I was bringing the recruit in. Yeah. You know what I mean? I made some phone calls and I said, hey guys, you got to roll out the red carpet. He's coming. I had my own Michael Jordan here. So, yeah. so really it, it worked so well, but it was very scary because as two young guys that don't have any money and can go get a job elsewhere and get paid, we took the other road. Let's hang a shingle and see how we do. And honestly, we packed up a, a Jeep in, in New York and drove cross country. We put everything we had in a truck. Everything else we either gave away to other residents or we you just made me left. sell the shark, by the way. <laughs> and we drove cross country. This was in 2009. Right so. after the economy crashed and... Yeah, we, 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 we started thought it was a perfect yeah. idea. We're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to hang up a shingle and start our own practice. Yeah, we literally started a practice in the worst time you can possibly start it. And the world was literally coming to an end. They were giving, they were giving loans to the automakers. I mean, everything was crashing and we just got in and, and we're the most excited two guys going, we're going to come and save the world. And I'll never forget. So we started and one of our first meetings we went to was the breast cancer conference at Cedar sinai Medical Center. Two young guys, they're eager to do everything. We were, we were eager to do just anything you gave Skippy us. Skippy excited. Like, like, we walk in, and the guy who was running the, the cancer meeting was like, what are you guys doing here? What do you mean? We're, we're new plastic surgeons. We're very eager. We're ready. There's no room for you. There's too many plastic surgeons. So, okay, well, all right. We'll, we'll miss this meeting, and maybe we'll try another. So, unfortunately, it, honestly, it was one of those blows in the beginning that we're like, because we came in going, we've done so much breast cancer reconstruction. We know how to do it all. They're going to love us. They're going to say, wow, these guys are... 
They're like, no, <laughs> get out. There's no room for you. So instead of really kind of taking it as, as and, and, and making it a negative, we actually made it a positive. And we went and did breast cancer reconstruction at Good Samaritan Hospital. We did some at White Memorial Hospital. We went to places that really needed it. We went to the Providence Group. And that's how we kind of started and took a lot of emergency room call. Facial fractures, burns, trauma. I mean- You remember one of our first cases was a guy who was coming off the Metro. This is great. And he was shot twice, one through the hand. He put his hand up to block and the other one hit him at the upper thigh. Well, the upper thigh, he had his iPhone in his pocket, which essentially absorbed the blow there. But the one through the gunshot through the hand essentially just destroyed one of the bones. And of course, for us, we thought, all right, well, we can do this. So the two of us kind of tag team this. One person harvested iliac bone, which is your hip bone, to recreate that bone. And then the other person placed the bone, did all the pinning and put on the the external fixator and things like that. And eventually, fast forward six months later, and the guy's got full range of motion. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those uh, those cases amazing. that we thought, all right, we have arrived. And you may think to yourself, why did we do that? Because this is something that most people don't know. Plastic surgeons are all trained in hand surgery as well. So this is something that most of the most of the people out there don't know, but we're fully certified hand surgeons. And we did as much hand surgery as most people out there. Now, most plastic surgeons do this because to go back the history, years and years ago, there wasn't a hand surgery subspecialty and plastic surgeons did the most micro um, surgery kinds of procedures. So they basically said, okay, let's have hand surgery fall into the realm of orthopedics and plastic surgery. Um, And most of the really fine parts of, of, of hand surgery falls into what we did for years. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't do a lot of it anymore because our practice is significantly cosmetic. But when we first started, we did all sorts of things. I mean, everything that we were trained in. Well, now it kind of comes full circle because you know the idea for us was, at least for myself, was that you'd never get bored in plastic surgery because you can operate from head to toe. So if you get tired of doing one thing, ah, listen, tomorrow there'll probably be something new. And the emergency rooms would always give us some interesting cases. And we had the opportunity. We originally uh, shared office space with his uncle, who was a dermatologist. And after that, piggybacked off him for a little bit and then finally had enough money to, uh, you know, sublet from. He was the internist to the stars. And I think this was a pivotal point at which we were, we were visible uh, we saw exposure, and now people were starting to give us legitimacy. And, you know, we obviously had to, you know, complete the work as expected. And so I think that, um, you know, we've been flying under the radar the whole time, trying to do the best job that we can, but this was a pivotal moment. Yeah, um, and, 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 and I mean, it's interesting because you think, you know, for, for all the listeners out there, it was so difficult to become a plastic surgeon. It was very difficult to get into the program. Then the next step was to finish the residency. Then the step after that was to figure out what you're going to do. And then there were boards. We had to take our our specialty boards. So this was something that was a written examination. And then you had to pass that. And then you had to take an oral examination. The oral examination consisted of books. 
these books that you created by doing these procedures. So the patients that you saw during a, I think it was a year span, you wrote all them out, you sent them to the board, and the board would pick five of those cases. Most of the time, those five cases had some sort of complication. They would make you make these books. The books had to be perfect from pictures to history and physical and to all of the the necessary requirements that were supposed to be in the books. And then there was an oral examination. The oral examination would put you into three different rooms. It was probably one of the most nerve-wracking days of my, two days of my life. And there would be three rooms. One room, you knew they were going to ask you on your books. The other two rooms were just unknowns and some of the most difficult things you've ever seen. So you go through that. Luckily, both of us passed both boards and we became board certified. And now you think, okay, you're the best. You've done your training. You're board certified. You're in California. You're in Beverly Hills. You hang your shingle. You go to Cedar sinai and say, okay, I'm ready to do surgery here. You have to have privileges at a hospital. But there's a catch-22 there now. You have to be proctored. Even though you've done a full residency, you have to be proctored on your cases by other plastic surgeons that are on staff. Guess what? They're never available to proctor you. <laughs> so we had to get like five cases proctored. It took us like 25 cases. So we couldn't even become on staff and that took some time. So the difficulty getting there to even work in the emergency room, there are so many hurdles that when I think back and I look at it, now that we're sitting at this desk and, and things are, are great and we very, very busy cosmetic surgery practice, it takes a lot to get to where we've gotten, a lot. And, and it's interesting for those that are listening that are interested in becoming plastic surgeons because we have a lot of people that come and shadow. You've got to really love what you do and we do. And that's why we have the passion, the drive, and the love for what we do. Um, and I think that's what makes us who we are and how we are. Yeah, I think this and the good part is we're a blend from two completely different backgrounds, went through the same training, kind of suffered through, have different perspectives. And now that we're here, are sl- have slowly fallen into our own little niche. You know, starting in 2013, helped create a, a skincare line you know, since that time, we've been on multiple boards and still contain, continue to be on multiple boards of different companies. And uh, at this stage of the game, we're to the point where we are expanding our practice. And so we are, the majority is cosmetic, but we still do some reconstructive work. And so, you know, we kind of each chose, again, our niche and mine's really neck up, he's neck down. Uh, but the the best part about this is, you know, we still give each other perspectives and, uh, and things like that on combined cases. And you know? always, always are looking to be better. We're never perfect. And that's the key to anyone. Anyone you go to that thinks they're, they're better than God, it's, it's not possible. There's always things that can go wrong. There's things that can be fixed. There's things that can be better. And him and I constantly are, I'll show him my before and afters and say, hey, what could I have done to make this better? And he'll give me the perspective. And it's wonderful. And I'm going to take it back for a second because when we first started practice in, in 2012 and, and 13 and we were seeing patients, we saw every single patient together because you have to understand the, the practice wasn't incredibly busy where there was 50 people on a day and, and people looking just to see me or just to see John. It was, we were starting out and people love the fact that they were seeing two surgeons at the same time. So we were telling people, hey, listen, not only are you seeing two surgeons at the same time, you can get a second opinion and you can get a different opinion, a lot more artistic, a lot more technical. You know, he's the artist. I am 
obviously just more technical, but it really comes together really nicely. In the beginning, honestly, it was great because not only did we get to play off of one another. It boosted your confidence a little bit. Patients loved it. They loved having two people see them. They still love having two people work on them. How often do we do that? For the bigger cases, yes, we still double team. We're still in there. We still do big mommy makeovers together. There are times where he does a facelift. I do a tummy tuck. It is a very unique practice because other practices don't have this bond that him and I do. And in a sense, most plastic surgery partnerships, and I'm going to knock on something, don't last because of their egos. Egos are way too big and ours, we're friends. So it's not about that. And it makes a huge difference. And, it, and I really, I look, I look back and I think back of those days where we had an office upstairs that was, we had two exam rooms and a consultation room. We had an office just like we do now. We've always had a desk sitting next to each other, just like this. And we'd go into the rooms and it would be so cramped because it was <laughs> myself, John, it was our consultant and like a woman and her husband. And you're like, okay, this is really awkward. And it's beautiful to see the growth that we've had just based on hard work. Well, the funny part is we built out our own office. So, you know, after being with the internist to the stars for several years, then we had the opportunity to build our own office. And in creating this with our own surgery center and everything else, we still have one office, double desk, uh, where we run stuff by each other every single day. So I think, you know, for anybody listening out there, the whole idea behind why we can offer something is because you've got two different perspectives. We check our egos at the door. We'll always come up with the best possible plan and, and, out, and achieve the best outcome because of that fact. And we've always had the motto of less is more and try to look really natural. We're not here to change people. We're just here to make them feel better and look better. You know, Forever Young is, is really what we're trying to make people feel and look. It's a lot within. It's not all about the external appearance. And I think that's, that comes also with the fact that, listen, John and I see all our own patients. We don't have nurses or MAs take out stitches. We do everything ourselves. You know, people have direct access to us. It's very different than a lot of other people. Is it more time consuming? Is it a little bit more difficult? Is it a little uh, more of a headache sometimes? Yes, but it makes people feel a lot more comfortable. And at the end of the day, they're really happy getting the work done because it boosts their just everything. Not, Not only their confidence, but just their whole life. Hello, beautiful people. To celebrate the launch of Forever Young, we'd like to offer our listeners a special discount on our premium line of skincare products at beverlyhillsmd.com. Go to beverlyhillsmd.com and use the promo code foreveryoung20 to get 20% off your first order. That's beverlyhillsmd.com, promo code foreveryoung20. Please share, rate, and review on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be right back after this break. I do want to circle back to the skincare line. So 2013, we're going to, we're going to go back um, because this was a, another pivotal moment in our career. And we had been talking about putting a line together and 
the good part about being a plastic surgeon and coming up with a skincare line is that we have access to a hundred different lines. And then we listen to feedback from patients, which what works, what doesn't. Um, and then we look at some of those ingredients and we think, okay, well, is this really difficult to make? No, not really. You know, you could send something to a lab, deconstruct it and uh, reverse engineer it and come up with something and then maybe add something to make it better. So funny story. I was in Vegas at a pool party with a buddy of mine. He who, loves pool parties. Uh, <laughs> this happens to be a staple. <laughs> and, uh, you know, started talking to him. And he and his brothers had just formed a marketing company. And uh, I think they had just purchased uh, a, what was a flailing skincare line. And talked to him and said, listen, you got the right idea. But what you should do is do a physician-run line. And fast forward eight months later, we had our first product the dark spot corrector. We ended up putting on Google. We were so excited. It ended up taking off and did so well in the first few months that Google came to meet with us to ensure that we were truly plastic surgeons. They wanted to make sure we're real. The <laughs> average age of that group of eight people was probably like 19. Yes. Um, but it was, it, it was a moment of clarity in our life that, listen, we can make products that work. People will listen and since that time, uh, you know, we've catapulted, helped catapult this skincare line into uh, something that's really legitimate and that we're proud of. And there's an incredible team that works with us and we brainstorm together. If I say, listen, we need to look at nano-encapsulated growth hormone uh, topically, that team looks it up. We come back with something and we created the Rejuve GH. And so, you know, this is something that since 2004, 14, really, when we launched, this has now become a, a, a worldwide, uh, well-renowned brand. And what's, beauty, what's really beautiful about the brand is that- it, Which is Beverly Hills MD, by the way. Yes. It makes, it makes people feel like they're coming to see us if they're in Ohio. If you're in, if you're in Wisconsin and you can't come see Dr. Lakey or myself, this is a way to- obtain that youthful glow. We're trying to help people to really try to get, try to turn back the clock a little bit, but without spending exorbitant amounts of money. How can we help people in a jar? Whether it's taking supplements or it's using topicals, we're trying to do everything we can. Well, I, you know, the interesting part is in the beginning, we did it really for, for two reasons. One, every single patient came in and said, my God, I need to help my skin. And for us, listen, we can do lasers all day long. The second reason why this really resonated with us because all the dark spots and wrinkles and things like that come back. You can do as many lasers and treatments as you want. You have to have maintenance. And so everyone needed a particular skincare regimen. So for us, it was uh, something that was really exciting. And uh, it's nice because it's, it's our little baby and, and we've helped grow it. And, and, and it went from, like you said, one product to... Now that's a whole line that has everything from you can use from your cleansers to your polishes to your toner to your moisturizer. Everything is there. Um, if you haven't tried it, you should. <laughs> yeah, listen, uh, if you want to go to the website, beverlyhillsmd.com. And uh, the other uh, thing is, you know, we, we knew we'd arrived when we started moving to other countries as well. And so now, again, we're back to uh, a worldwide, well-renowned brand and definitely something we're proud of. So in this podcast, the whole idea is we're going to kind of go through some of the different ingredients in our products. We'll talk about things that work for particular types of skin and what doesn't. 
and we can kind of go from there. Yeah, and, and really, one of the most confusing things when we were doing this is there's a million lines. Some are so expensive, and some are relatively inexpensive. Does an expensive brand mean that it's better? And we really looked into it, and we thought, oh, some of this stuff is just hype. Some of this stuff is real. And, and some we, of it's branding. Yeah, and I mean, some of it's just... branding. And coming, like, like you said earlier, a doctor-formulated skincare line, in my opinion, is the best way to go. Because we see this all the time, so that's why we're here. Well, you always see those, those lines that are all natural, made from fruit extracts and things like that, which are great, which are great. Um, but our line, I think, is based on those. So we kind of mix nature and science. We'll take some of those things in our products. So a particular apple peel, we'll take a particular uh, rose petal, and then we add more science that kind of force it along. And so I think it's the perfect blend of nature and science. Absolutely. And it's interesting because even even on, on formulating the line sometimes, uh, people will ask us, well, what do you guys agree on everything? And really the beauty of this relationship is no, it's not about everything is agreed upon. No, it's not at all. We had a hard time agreeing on some of the wallpaper in this office. <laughs> but the interesting part about it is it's never, and thank God again, in, in all the years I've known him, we don't argue. It's a very simple discussion. We come up with whatever is best and, and we go with it. And the reason that's so great, and the reason it works is because imagine being in the operating room with the two of us and having us argue. That would never happen. Like we, yeah, yeah, Is yeah. there a disagreement? Sure. But we always somehow rationally come to a very good final decision that really ends up being the best decision possible. Even with a skincare line. Some of the times I'm like, let's do this, let's do this. He's like, no, it's not going to work. And finally I'm like, oh, you're right. Okay, that, was, that wasn't a good idea. Or vice versa. Or, or vice versa. And, and, it, and it makes a relationship good. I mean, it, his wife always says, you know, you spend more time with my husband than I do. You're really his, his wife. And I'm like, no, he's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's one of those things that, that people don't understand that this is, yeah, we work together, but this is far more than a work relationship. You know, it's, it's my closest friend in the world. I am lucky to be here with him. I think that's why this podcast is going to have so much, I guess, so Validity much flavor to it. to it too. Yeah, I think, listen, we've got some exciting things to come. So the idea is we realize as plastic surgeons that surgery is not for everyone. And whether that is through cost, whether it's just you're not a candidate, um, the idea is that everyone can look and feel beautiful and we have ways of doing it. And that's why even from down to our do-it-yourself techniques at home, uh, we'll give you some options. We'll, we'll, we'll tell you what's important, what to look for. And then for those of you who are looking at cheating the system by trying to get by and do these new fad techniques and things like that, We'll tell you which ones work, what can go wrong, and why you should or shouldn't do them. And as far as those of you who are looking to do any type of surgical procedure, we're here to walk you through it and make you feel more comfortable because this is elective aesthetic surgery that really you know, has come a long way over the last few decades. And so you would be surprised at how we've reduced downtime and the little tricks that we can uh, tell you to help expedite your healing process through surgery. And so, you know, I think it'll be pretty beneficial. I agree. And, and I think that 
for all the listeners out there, you can ask us anything you want. You can ask us questions. Go ahead and send your questions to us. We'll be happy to address them and talk to you about your fears, your concerns, your questions. Please send them in. Our next episode will be on mommy makeovers, something that we are really known for. Just considering there's two of us, we do a lot of mommy makeovers and we can talk to you about all the pros and cons and kind of put you at ease and make you understand what the procedure is like. Remember, again, we're in the operating room every day, so we'll bring you little tidbits, pearls, dispel myths, and we look forward to taking you on this wild and crazy ride of plastic surgery and cosmetic surgery in Beverly Hills. Follow us at our podcast at Forever Young. And if you want, you can look at our Instagram site. It's at Plastics Docs with an X. P-L-A-S-T-I-X-D-O-C-S at Instagram. And at Beverly Hills MD. And listen to us at the iHeartRadio app, the Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next Tuesday. From iHeartRadio, Forever Young is a Cavalry Audio Golden Hippo production. We are produced by Brandon Morgan. Josh Windish does our editing and mixing. Payment and I serve as executive producers along with Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.